You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, if you haven't already, go check out the Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pro. It delivers an athletic and glove like fit that will hold the foot in place to prevent chafing and rubbing while on the move. It's 100% waterproof. It comes in a variety of camo patterns, comes in a variety of insulation options, and it's just an overall great boot. So go check out lacrossefootwear.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. If you haven't already, go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and buy one of their trail cameras. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. You can enter the discount code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you will save $20 on your trail camera purchase. Now, today's podcast is a good old-fashioned BS session. We're talking with a gentleman from New York. His name is Jesse Wildman, and we are talking about a variety of different things. Um, What hunting is like in his area. We talk about leasing property. We talk about habitat management. We talk about um, him trying to start a QDMA branch and not having uh, a lot of success with it. And uh, we also talk about just straight up hunting. So this is a very awesome and interesting podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Again, just a great BS session between two passionate hunters. Now, commercial today, hunter safety systems. Guys, uh, my season here in Iowa starts October 1st right so that's within a week away that's one week from uh today and if you're you know i i feel confident saying this that hunter safety systems or whatever 
safety harness brand is out there. They don't care what what brand you really wear for a safety harness as long as you're wearing a safety harness. And it's something that, man, I have had some experience some experiences with in the past where if I I've slipped in my tree stand, luckily I had a safety harness. Um, climbing up uh, and taking that step from the top stick to the platform of the lone wolf, I've slipped again. Guess what? I had my safety harness on. And it's not that I did any falling, but it caught me enough to where I was able to react and grab the tree or something like that. If I didn't have a safety harness, who knows what would have happened. And now every year you hear those horror stories, right, about those guys falling out and they can't walk ever again and they can't hunt ever again and they can't work ever again and don't let that be you so here's what i'm saying just go to hunter safety systems or hunters safety system.com and just take a look at what they offer uh they have harnesses for absolutely everybody um go check it out and go buy one uh, because being safe is the most important thing straight up and i'm just going to leave it at that so also i have not checked my trail cameras in about a like two months and i am freaking losing my mind i just my 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 life has been so crazy busy um and i want to do it so bad but i know that if i do it now it's one of those things where I'll probably put a little additional pressure on the on the property, so I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait it out. I'm going to go make that trail camera shift that I typically do in, right before September. I'm going to do it the first weekend that I can get out there to hunt, uh, take some inventory, and then really start to focus on the movement. Uh, what is causing those? Um, what's causing those deer to really move? you know, weather pattern, wind direction, um, and maybe some other things that, uh, you know, you just have to be a, as observant as possible when it comes to, uh, trying to pattern deer and man, I got to get out there, get the exodus is, um, my cams are, uh, soaking, gathering information as we speak. And I just want to go check them. I just want to go check them with October 1st being literally one week away, man, I'm starting to drool and there is going to be like a, a little bit of a cold front coming through that first week in October. And, uh, I'm going to be able to get out in the woods and hunt that week a little bit, uh, that weekend. I probably won't, but that week, uh, maybe a couple times I might get out depending on, um, you know, school or uh, not school, but, uh, kids activities and whatnot. And, uh, and, and brownie points, right. I got to save my brownie points for the, the rut, but, uh, man, I would love to, uh, pattern one and get on one early season. So that's a long intro. I apologize. Let's get into today's BS session podcast with Jesse Wildman. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Jesse Wildman. How you doing, man? Good. Yourself? Oh, I can't complain, man. Every day is a day closer to uh, archery opener here in Iowa. When does... Uh, yeah. You're from New York, right? Correct. All right, so when does archery opener start in New York? Um, in my area, it's October 1st. I think 
downstate or whatever. I think they have an early season, but um, that's nothing that I know anything about. So it's October 1st for me. Gotcha. So what part of, I mean, New York is a huge state, and when everybody thinks of New York, they think of New York City for the most part. What part of New York are you from? Um, I guess I would call myself Central New York. Um, this seems to be centrally located, basically right there, smack dab center of the state. So okay. that seems to be the common name everybody calls it. Gotcha. So I've had... Man, I've had quite a few people on, I shouldn't say recently, but over the course of maybe four months from New York. And we got the guys who are way on the east uh, coast or east side of the state. We got guys, we've talked a little bit about the west side of the state. So let's talk a little bit about what deer hunting is like in, in the central part of New York. Um, central part, I guess it's kind of a mix of both sides. Um, obviously, western New York is more agriculture and then the east side is you got the mountains and um less agriculture and we i guess have a pretty good split here there's some large timber tracks and there's some very large agricultural farms around here so we got a little bit of everything gotcha and how does that translate into not only the numbers but the quality of deer um it makes a big difference, I guess, property to property. You can go somewhere, you have large deer numbers, and uh, that's typically your agricultural areas where um, people just, you got a lot more numbers of deer and less access to it from a hunter's standpoint. Right. But more of the big woods timber side, you got higher higher hunter count, I guess, and I don't know less deer numbers is I guess how I'd take it. Yeah. Okay. So are you in a, so would you say that you have high pressured, high pressured hunting in the area that you live? Yeah. So the probably the property I grew up on is fairly close to public land and just something me and my brother has only, we've only done is counted, I guess, gunshots opening day of gun season uh, the number of shots before legal shooting light and <laughs> just something we always joke about when we get back home, but we're normally anywhere from 20 to 30 gunshots in that first light, I guess, like I said, before legal light. Wow. So you, uh, you got, it sounds to me like you got the areas gets, gets hammered pretty well. Yeah, it, it's definitely, there's a lot of hunters, um, but I guess that's what makes it tough. You make yeah. do. Yeah, absolutely. So what about the quality of the bucks? I mean, it sounds to me that just like any other high-pressured state, that uh, the age class really isn't that you know that great compared to some of the other, let's say, like a Midwestern state. Yeah, and going back to how we're in that central New York part, you can get into some really good blocks of property larger agriculture areas and they produce really good deer or you can get into these small parcel um a lot of hunters and it's just it's all over the board around here right right so it's it's basically hit or miss based on property yeah that's 
that's exactly how it is. Okay. So let's, uh, you know, I always like to ask this because what this does is it tell it gives me a good representation of, and, and I know it's an extreme representation, but I can say that in Iowa, one of the biggest bucks that I've ever seen, it was while I was driving down the road one night, I'm going to have to guess he was 220 to 230 inches, somewhere in there. Just a, a freak. This was like in 2005 or 6 or 7 or something like that. Just a complete freak of a deer. You know, whether you're driving, whether you're hunting, or, you know, just maybe doing chores or something, what is the biggest deer you've ever seen in New York? Hmm. I would say alive, probably around the 160 mark. Um, like I said, just driving down the road, having to see it one night. Yeah. This was actually out in western New York. Western New York. Specific. Okay. Yeah. All right. So what about in your neck of the woods? I mean, what, what would you consider typical, or what would you uh, consider a, a good year as far as harvesting a buck is concerned? Um. Well, I don't harvest one every year, but yeah. my goal is 120 inches or four and a half years old. Okay. And by you saying that that you don't harvest one every year, is that because that a majority of the deer don't meet your standard then? Yeah. Um, held, held off a little bit too much. I think for a couple of years I had too high of expectations a um, little bit younger then and yeah just just i guess come to the realization what my properties produce and um have to set a realistic goal now right okay so let's talk about those properties because then i want to kind of transition back and talk about you know how big are some of the properties you hunt? And I think that might get a, uh, get a, give us an idea of what you're able to do from maybe a management standpoint on what, you know, because if you're only hunting or managing maybe 10 acres, it's going to be really, really hard to, you know, pass a deer and hope that the neighbors don't shoot them, right? But if you're on 400 acres or something bigger, then you might have a chance doing that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the some of the property you hunt because in the message that you sent me, you said I currently hunt land that I own, lease, and you also hunt public land as well. So first, let's just start off with the uh, property that you own. How big is that? Describe that. Um, eighty acres. It's I just recently purchased it off of a guy from downstate but it kind of goes back it's been in my family's for i'd be the sixth generation so it's been in my family for a really long time but had been lost over the years and i could jump on the opportunity to reacquire it so it's an 80 acre parcel that i purchased two years ago gotcha okay so 80 acres, describe the breakdown, you know, what is it? We got some ag, heavy timber, what is it? All right, 60 acres timber and I think 20 acres is either pasture or um, fields. Okay, so do you currently cash rent it out for crops or do you have uh, livestock in there at all? We have a couple cows that we have on it and then 
we do the rest is like hay and um, food plots. Okay. So you are somewhat managing this land to hunt deer. Yes. Okay. So before you purchased this land, was there also like a, a, a hunter's footprint on it, so to speak? Like, was there established food plots and did he do any type of, uh, I guess, uh, habitat work on it? Yeah, it worked out pretty good. Um, so where we live, we're close enough to New York City that there's a lot of people that drive upstate and they purchase properties and hunt them. So because he lived so far away, I did all his food plots for him. And um, a lot of like his, I guess, like hinge cutting and edge feathering around his food plots and stuff. And so he came to me when he wanted to sell it and just happened to work out good that way. Oh, that's awesome. So you, you had already, I mean, you've already known this property, it sounds like. Yeah, I actually killed my first deer when I was 16 on it. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So you had a, okay, so you had an understanding about, you know, what this piece of property holds and whatnot. So, you know, we're getting ready coming up here in September to, in Iowa anyway, there's this, there's this shift when the deer come out of velvet. Uh, I, I experience it through my trail cameras and then another shift when the um when the crops come out now for you on your property is there a time is there a time of year that is better to hunt uh your property or what year or what uh what time of year holds the most deer is there a shift so forth and so on well because it's an old agricultural property and it's big woods around it now that we're doing the food plots and stuff we get a lot of deer like during the summer and um early season because they're still hitting the food sources um ideally you want to have your target buck killed before gun season just because of the large increase in hunters but um come late season i think we have nine acres of standing beans this year so i'm hoping if anything makes it through the New York rifle season, hopefully we'll have something with a good food source there available for them. Oh, awesome. And uh, when when you sit out, let's say on an early season or, or even a mid-October uh, hunt, how many deer do you typically expect to see? Uh, five would be, I think, a reasonable number. Okay. Not a lot. Gotcha. Gotcha. So would you say that your area, I mean, is a medium? Is it low? Is it high compared to the rest of the state? We have low deer numbers. Okay. I think this year was, or last year was kind of one of the first years you could start getting doe tags. Um, Before that, it was buck only. Oh, okay. So the numbers were really low then. Yeah. And is that because, let's say, like the New York DNR... Um, was just kind of wide open for a while back, you know, maybe several years ago on every, you know, you can shoot any or everything, or is it just that the landscape can't support uh, high deer numbers? More of a landscape thing. We, we have, I guess, big snowfalls, um, lake effect, stuff like that. Uh, right. So that, that definitely um, 
hinders the deer herd. And then I think with such large um, hunter numbers that that they do a good number on the population. Every year. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now what I want to talk now is about strategy and how you, you know, how you're using this, this private land that you own. Right. So if I owned 80 acres, I'll just tell you what I would do. I would probably set it up for a, I'd be watching trail cameras to see what moves in and out and probably not hunt it until one shows up or I save that property for the rut and I go hunt some private or some other maybe permission land or some public ground. So how do you approach the property that you own? Basically just how you described it. I have probably seven or eight properties total that I can hunt um, What's right that? around. I think what's that translate uh, into total acres? Probably 1700 acres. I think total. Okay. So it's, it's fairly large, but, um, so I run trail cameras on all these properties and, um, just more or less look for a hit list buck. And if I can get one and then I kind of put all my time into that property because a lot of times between all these properties, I might not have a hit lister, um, show up. Well, for instance, this year, I haven't had one show up yet. So it's just a, the waiting game before I really focus in and kind of hone in on just that one property. Right. So once that happens, obviously then I start off by uh, not walking right into the property. I might either run my cameras and either pattern or set up on the outskirts of the property and just observe through like an observation stand and just, I guess, go from there. Gotcha. And that's kind of the like a low pressure tactic that you take? Yep. Gotcha. Now, you know, if you're not hunting a hitless buck or one doesn't show its face, are you still hunting? I mean, do you still go out and hunt in hopes that something will will show up or are you just staying out altogether or maybe going and hunting some does somewhere? Two or three years ago. Yeah, I would have been out there probably every day I could have, but I've actually taken up duck hunting to try taking my <laughs> mind off the deer. So not a bad I, move. I don't overpress. Yeah, so I don't overpress them. Right. So then you're just kind of you're either a, a a quote unquote shooter will show up and you'll go after him, or you're just staying out altogether until like the rut. Yeah, and or. I have, I have a couple spots. Obviously, I can't run cameras. I don't have enough cameras to cover that much property. So I have a couple um, bigger wood tracks that um, might lend themselves to just having observation stands that are low intrusion. I can sneak in, sneak out, um, and just kind of get a good idea what's there because those big timber bucks tend to do a lot different things in agriculture deer so it's a little harder to get them on camera and with new york being a no bait state that makes it even harder yeah right can you guys even use mineral stations no no nothing okay not even out of season out of season yeah yeah so so then 
that kind of you know that that's kind of your strategy um do you hunt does at all i mean, like if you know you a buck's not going to show up but maybe you, i mean do you hunt for meat at all do you try to take a doe or two every year our one <clears throat> sorry my one lease that i was on or i'm still on it was a timber company lease and part of the contract was to take does through them they got a program through the dc to do it so with that i would um but before no i won it i've acquired another property that seems to be more in the agriculture area and doe tags are more prevalent so this year stuff might change i might look to hunt a doe early season just because it's more feasible right okay um so at most i mean what are what how many tags can you get in new york for deer you get you get an archery either sex tag a muzzleloader doe only tag uh, a rifle season gun tag and then you have a lottery depending on your area for two more a chance at two more doe tags depending on the area okay so the worst case scenario you're getting an archery any sex tag will that will that you can um that you can use either on a buck or a doe and then a muzzleloader doe only tag so those two are guaranteed right yep and then a lottery for everything else yeah, well, you also have a rifle uh, buck tag. Okay, so you can you can you're guaranteed three deer. Like, yeah. Okay. Now, how often do you shoot three deer a year? Uh, I don't think I've ever. Maybe once. Got but you. so I mean, like I said, with this new property, uh, does are a lot more prevalent. Yeah. Where I grew up hunting in that property that I bought those deer never saw a cornfield or a bean field in their life so just numbers were a lot lower right okay all right so what's the difference between the property that you own the property that you lease and obviously I mean obviously there's some big differences but you also hunt some public land too right correct so let's talk a little bit about the differences between those three types of property so obviously your your private the property I own I can do timber stand improvement food plots um, you can do habitat management with the lease property uh, I'm a lot more limited there's restrictions it's leased with other people so my management goals are target deer they they might have a different idea of what they want to shoot maybe they could shoot a yearling buck and and then obviously your public land is no holds bar good luck yeah so the public ground that you hunt is it just like every you know all the horror stories of every place else just get slammed uh oh yeah opening throughout the entire season um archery season is typically when I'll hunt it because you can find spots that are good or, but gun season, it's, it's 
it's scary. I would say I haven't done that in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Do you stay, do you stay out of the timber during the rifle or stay out of public ground during the gun seasons then? Yeah. Um, late season, if we get like a fresh snow or something, I might do some tracking or something along those lines. But typically I, I don't venture onto it too much after rifle season starts. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So now we're going to shift gears just a little bit. And you are also in charge of a hunting club. Now, is that hunting club on the piece of property that you lease? Yeah, that, that's one of the properties that I lease. Okay. So that, that's a 930-acre piece of property that nine guys are on. Okay, so roughly. Now, this is always where I kind of, it's different for every, I guess, lease or hunt club. Because down in the south, they call it a hunt club too, which is basically a lease like what you just described. But you got nine guys on it. There's 900 acres. How do you divvy up who can hunt where? Um, is it kind of a free-for-all? Is it, hey, you know, John gets this 100 acres, Joe gets this 100 acres, you get that 100 acres? How do you break that down? It's, it's more of a free-for-all. Everybody kind of, I don't know, meshes together, and we all get along really good. So um, knock on wood right now there's no issues but yeah it's more or less people communicate throughout the season and do their scouting and um a lot of people have their pre-hung stand so you know where they are right and just makes people people work together i guess on it yeah so there's there there hasn't been any type of conflict thus far you know you go in you hang your stands and that's where you hunt right yeah Okay. Uh, I think I've, I've been in charge of it for, I want to say, seven years. Um, when we got some new members, obviously, sometimes there's quirks and stuff. But overall, through those years, it's been pretty stress-free. Right. So what are the benefits of, I guess, joining a hunt club? Um, do you guys have strict management goals, like you can't shoot? any it has if you're going to shoot a buck it has to be this big or this old we have a fairly uh loose i guess set of rules but three points on one side is our biggest rule and uh no button bucks obviously and other than that it's pretty it's pretty mellow right right so it's it's kind of uh you're not taking anything too serious on this no. Okay. Now, a question I have is, how much is that lease? If you, if you don't mind me asking, uh, how much are you paying a year for, for, for that? The total is right around $12,000 for the lease. Okay. So it's over $1,000 a person. Yep. For 100 acres. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you get to hunt all of it, but if you break it down. Okay, I gotcha. Now... Um, how often do you bring in a new member? Is it just kind of like one of those things where it's, Hey, if this guy decides to drop, we'll try to find another guy. And, or do you say, well, I don't want any, I don't, I really don't want another person in here. Do you get like, does the rest of the group absorb that guy's 
pay or, or, or that guy's fee or how's that work? Depends. Each, each year is different. We've had the same group now for a couple of years. Before that, we kind of went through a big change. We lost a couple people and had to get some new people. So there was a lot of discussion uh, in the summer months before that on how are we going to do this. And we restructured how many people. But normally, we can sort stuff out as the summer progresses. And if we need somebody, somebody normally knows somebody that they're friends with. So it makes it easier to than just pulling somebody off the street. Right. Is that, I know that, I noticed that in some higher population states like New York um, and even down in the South where there's not necessarily a ton of public ground that a lot of people do pay for leases or to join hunt clubs um, if they don't have access to a private farm. Is this something that a lot of people do in New York is like either join a hunt club or, or a lease? I think the leasing is very popular in New York. Um, some of the prices surprise me from the Midwest, but this lease is kind of funny because most of our members are actually from Pennsylvania. Okay. All right. And when you say surprise, what's that mean? Like surprise that they're higher out here or cheaper out here? The price is equivalent. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I gotcha. So then, um, so a majority of the people come from out of state to hunt? Um, well, for us, like with us having PA members, the biggest thing about that was most of them come to New York because they can't hunt Sundays in Pennsylvania. Oh. So being working people Monday through Fridays just gives them an additional day. Yeah. That's dumb. That's a dumb rule, by the way. It's unique. I'm glad <laughs> we don't have it. Yeah. Um, I would only be hunting like one day a week in, I don't know, that, that may sound like a lot for some people, but uh, I wouldn't be able to enjoy opening day this year because October 1st falls on a, uh, on a Sunday. Uh, this year, yep. um, and then one basically one one day a week if I can't get out during the weekend or during the work week, which man that would suck. I, I would think that a state like Pennsylvania ha, have they ever? And I know you're from New York, but with you being close, what's their defense of that? Do they know? I'm sure originally it was in a re, like a religion thing, but now. I'll, Maybe they argue um, a break for the deer. I mean, I think they do have the largest deer hunter population or one of them. Yeah, I think Pennsylvania is number one. Okay, cool. Well, there's that. Now, um, and then, so you kind of you kind of run a, a hunt club too. Let's see, is there any anything interesting that people should know about either running or being part of a hunt club with several other people? Um, if you do it, be, pre be prepared for uh, asking people for their money before the dues because that seems to be a common thing. But, no, it, it's, it's a great thing. It's good camaraderie. It's where I, since I was a little kid, that's 
where I've hunted my whole life. My dad has been in it for, for a while now and it's been a, it's a great thing. Okay. All right. So now I want to talk about this next part of the, uh, email you sent me and that was that you started a qdma branch now yeah let's go pre and post like so pre qdma branch post qdma branch why did you decide that starting a qdma branch in the areas that you hunt was a good thing i was hoping to get more people educated everybody talks about deer management and there's a lot of myths or misunderstandings about it. And I thought it would be a good thing. People tend to this time of year really want to get into the deer hunting mood. And I thought with that, maybe we could start organizing something and educating people, but it's not, it's hard to keep people interested throughout the year, I guess, is where I'm going with that. Yeah. Okay. So when you say educate people on deer management, what were you, because obviously you're the one who started it. So there was something that you wanted to change, right? It's not like, Hey, everybody, I want to educate you on deer. It, I mean, it had to come from someplace else, right? Uh, what was it that you wanted everybody in your neighborhood to know? Just a lot of the misconceptions in this area. People, people still believe in deer numbers that they correlate the number of deer that they see with how good their hunting is. How many times have you asked a hunter, Hey, how was your hunt? Oh, it was great. I saw 20 deer next day. Hey, how was your hunt? Well, I saw five deer. It was, it was terrible. Yeah. So I wanted to bring to them like, Hey, sometimes either too high in numbers or too low in numbers can be, can be either a good thing or a bad thing. And just basic common knowledge of letting young bucks go and a better deer herd and age structure and just, just trying to help educate people i guess gotcha okay so when you when you set you know made the decision what was your first step did you contact qdma and ask if there was a branch that you could join yourself or you or did you do the research and say hey there's nothing in my area then call them and tell them that you wanted to start one i just i reached out to mike edwards he's the region one um qdma director and just more or less asked him, hey, is this something that you'd be interested in? I don't know anything about it. And he kind of got the ball going from there. Okay. So you reached out to QDMA and you said, hey, I'm interested in this. And they said, absolutely, let's do it. Yep. Okay. So a QDMA branch is more than just Jesse Wildman, right? I mean, you got to go out and you got to try to convince people to join the QDMA what was your first step in trying to do that? Um, word, of mo- word of mouth, a lot of people that you talk to in the hunting community expressed interest in it before. So some of the people I know, the local um, rod and gun clubs I'm members in, and just word of mouth is how I tried spreading it. Gotcha. So what 
what was the message that you were let's let's say I lived in the area I wasn't part of QDMA and you wanted me to join your branch what was the pitch that you were giving me or what how was I going to benefit from joining the QDMA I told them that we do educational um, seminars and that we do a banquet that we host every year to raise the money so we can supply these educational seminars and that obviously you get your booklet or newsletter and emails with all the um, educational events. And I guess that's kind of the direction I went, just trying to inform people. So many people ask me, oh, I, I want to grow mature deer. I want to do this, but I don't know how. And yeah. that's where I guess tried directing them direction. Gotcha. So, for someone who didn't know maybe what QDMA was all about, I mean, when they heard that someone wants to start a, a QDMA branch, they knew it was deer management of some sort. Was there uh, people coming up to you that were like, hey, man, if I join this, will I get big bucks on my property? Uh, not really. Um, I, I don't think I ever got like that exact term. Uh, I think the whole... QDM term is thrown around a lot. So sometimes I guess maybe it's misunderstood, but I never had anybody, I guess, outright say that to me. Right, right. But were they thinking that their hunting experience would be elevated if they brought these these management principles onto the, the farms that they hunted? I've heard before, actually before I even started that, people say that, well, I'm doing QDMA and it's not, it's not working. Right. Okay. So did you get any feedback I mean, or, or kickback from people saying, well, there's no way that's going to work because my neighbor, if my neighbor doesn't practice it, I don't need to practice it. Uh, yeah. I mean, you hear the, well, my neighbor shoots everything, so I'm going to. You definitely hear that. At the same time, people people are always open-eared and willing to learn. It's just right. if you can convince them to put it into effect. Gotcha. All right, so as you as the word started to spread that your area was going to, um, you know, you were looking for people to start a QDMA branch, how long, like – how long did it take for you to say, oh, man, we got, a, we got a good amount of people here? I mean, did it catch like wildfire or did it take a while? It never really took um, partially. I think when we tried starting this up, it was the wrong time of year. I think you have to do it either pre-hunting season or it's on people's mind. We initially tried starting it up, I think, either late winter, early spring in it. It just, people are either thinking about um, summer or spring, getting stuff ready. So the last thing on their mind is deer hunting. So it never really, um, like you said, took off like wildfire. Right. Okay. So then how long did it take you uh, from the time that you maybe expressed interest to the time that I guess you were an official chapter? Um, how long did that, that period take? I think just a couple months is when it, um, we had a meeting and 
we did a event and stuff, but it, it seemed like we just weren't getting any progression. There was a select couple people that were interested and, um, I changed jobs and did some other stuff. So since then it's kind of fizzled out some just lack of interest, I think. Right. Right. So, I mean, have you like, so it's just kind of fizzled out now or are you really active now? It's, it's fizzled out right now. Um, I've retried putting feelers out and I guess tried maybe doing a pint night or something, but it's very, it's very difficult. I think in our area right now to get people on board just because of the time of year. Yeah. I I don't even know if maybe that I'm not, I'm actually at a loss for why I don't know why. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean the area that I hunt in Iowa, uh, doesn't have one either well wait let me think where i live yes i believe but where i hunt no so and like where i hunt is i mean it's heavy it's a heavily farm farming community um and then there's obviously some so deer yes they're there and they're prominent but it's not like the farmers or the landowners care about them right they they care about them uh, they they care that there's hunters on there to pretty much shoot them, kind of. Yeah. You know what I mean. So the 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 farmers know that there's big deer in the area, but a big deer to a farmer doesn't really mean much. You know what I mean? No, it's just crop damage to yeah, them. Absolutely, absolutely. So you're you're having some struggles, uh, kind of getting this QDMA branch off the ground. Have you, I mean, have you tried contacting the QDMA and asking for help saying, Hey, what can I do better to, uh, you know, to get this branch off the ground? Me and Mike have discussed it some, and, um, it's just, it's really just finding time, um, yeah. between changing jobs and the club. And I manage a couple properties for some people and, on my side of it, it's a lack of time right now. I'm hoping maybe next year or the year down the road I can put a hundred percent effort into it and really be able to do it. Cause I, I think that's what it needs is somebody there and willing to be able to run it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So moving, transitioning again in this BS session, um, it says here, I've transitioned more to habitat management than just hunting in the last couple of years. So explain to us what that means. So I've really gotten into the last three or four years more than just the hunting aspect, obviously um, looking more into like the land management, doing um, TSI work. Um, The big thing now is hinge cutting, edge feathering, food plots, not just the hunting side of it, but bettering the habitat, removing invasive species, um, trying to manage the deer herd properly. Uh, That's where I'm more interested in now than just the hunting side of it. Gotcha. So, so when you say habitat management, you know, obviously what you're doing will better you know, will better the hunting and better the, the quality of life for the deer, let's say. Um, why? I mean, most, a lot of guys would just be like, Hey man, 
I want to, I'm doing this so I can kill a deer. It sounds to me like you're doing this and it's almost like hunting is, you're still going to hunt, but it's taking a back seat to this habitat management that you're doing. Yeah. I think there's two different kinds of hunters out there and I could be wrong about this, but there's the, for people hunting mature deer, there's the people that will look for any property that holds a mature deer whether it be a four acre lot, a 50 acre lot, 500, their goal is to kill a mature deer and they focus on that. And then I think the direction I'm starting to go now is I want to watch that deer grow for three or four years. I want to say I fed that deer. I gave that deer cover. I want to, I want to have that connection with that deer for more years than just going out, finding a mature deer and trying to hunt it. Right. Okay, so you you want it's almost like you're trying to create a storyline, correct? Okay, and is this something you know you said last couple of years? So is this something you implemented a couple of years ago, and now you're you're really starting to get the ball rolling on? Is this the property that you own, the properties that you lease? I think it's because of becoming a landowner and. Uh, with that, I manage some of the neighboring properties. So now with buying the equipment and getting stuff um, for myself, I think now that I can do this and it's available, I think that's what has driven me this direction where before it was always knocking on doors or leasing land. So there was no, I guess, connection with the land before that. Right. Okay. And And it's almost like you become you become the landowner and you have more responsibility for the land itself. Yeah. I mean, you can go into the woods now and now I see invasive bush honeysuckle and it's like, I need to eradicate that because I don't need that taking over my property. Whereas before you knocked on the door, Hey, can I go hunt? You walked out back, you walked by it and it meant nothing to you. Right. Right. So, how many years would you say you've been doing this? Hello? Yeah, hello, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. How many how many years would you say that you've been doing this? The management side of it? Yes. Probably, I mean, I used to do without knowing anything it's probably not helping at all but i used to do the food plots and stuff when i was younger but now i would say heavily three years now okay so three years and with with the habitat work that you're doing have you seen a direct result into the deer herd on your 80 acres no i i haven't unfortunately i feel like the hunting numbers outweigh the work it's hard to you can't see your results pay off when the deer is still being harvested at two or maybe even three years old right by the neighbors yeah now do you still i mean it sounds to me like a 120 inch four-year-old is a rarity where you hunt and that the neighbors are kind of killing anything that walks by. Is this something that like kind of frustrates you that the work that you are putting in and doing 
um, isn't being, it's not being reciprocated. Yeah. I think that's why I have the additional properties. I, I think I might've hunted my own property just a couple times last year, just because there wasn't a hitless deer on it. And so I still look elsewhere for it, but um, the neighbors are slowly in the area turning, I think for the better, we still have public land that's very close by. So obviously that won't change for either unless the state implements something or um, the mindset of people change. Right. So have you tried to talk with the neighbors about, Hey man, maybe we should pass the yearlings or maybe we should pass the two year olds or, you know, if implement some kind of self-imposed antler restrictions. Yeah, we are, we are heading that direction. Um, I manage, like I said, a couple of the other properties and they're starting to become more on board with it. And it might not be to the extent on that, but now they're maybe looking at like eight pointers or three on one side. Um, I guess up here in New York, people don't really age deer. It's kind of a funny thing. Uh, I don't know if it's like from people downstate, they just look at it as a point thing. Hey, I'll let six pointers go, or I'm going to let anything below an eight point go. Like they, they, they don't really understand the aging structure part, but when it comes to points, they like to count points and say, we'll let this go or stay. Right. But they, they don't, they don't understand that so they need they technically need a little bit more education that just because it's got you know three points as a two-year-old doesn't mean that as a you know a three-year-old it's going to get any necessarily any better yeah huh okay all right well i guess you got your (laughs) you got your work ahead of you yeah it's a unique thing but it, it is getting better in the area I think the public land is still our biggest fight right now, but the people surrounding me seem to be uh, more on board than they ever were. Right. Absolutely. All right. So then, you know, we're getting ready to wind down this podcast. So in New York, what are like your expectations and season goals for this upcoming season? Hopefully have a deer show up on camera here in the next couple weeks that I think is worthy of hunting and if it does then I'll I'll hunt that if if I kill that I'll probably head to Ohio like I did last year and hunt down there but um, yeah it's more or less just waiting for something to show up I'm hoping I have a hunt a, a deer that's huntable right okay well, it sounds like uh, uh, you you take a good out-of-state trip, and uh, you can kind of always keep that in your back pocket. I mean, Idaho, or excuse me, Idaho, Ohio, sounds like it's, uh, um, has that, have you been successful in, in Ohio before? I have not. I've been there twice for deer and once for turkey, and I've come up short every time. Are you, are you hunting public in Ohio? The last two times I've hunted public, I think I actually just got a number today. I'm working on private land right now, hopefully for this year. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, 
good luck, man. Good luck, uh, not only in Ohio, but good luck in uh, New York as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. All right. Hey, man, I really appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast today. All right. Have a good day. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another BS session in the books. Huge shout out to Jesse for hopping on and chatting with us today. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Exodus, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, Ozonics, and Hunter Safety Systems. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast and this network. So big things are coming up. I know a lot of states have already started. Deer are hitting the ground. And I'm telling you, man, I'm, I'm jacked. I'm just freaking jacked up. Please be safe out there. If you haven't already, you need to go to social media, whether it's Instagram or Facebook. And you need to follow not only the Sportsman's Nation, but you need to follow the Nine Finger Chronicles as well. Go to iTunes. Leave a review. Uh, tell everybody what you think of this podcast. And spread the word, man. Share share everything and uh, go out and buy a Nine Finger Nation t-shirt. So there is that. I think, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. If you're going to be in a tree, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding you, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.